Hey friends, you are listening to Real Talk with Rachel, and I'm your host, Rachel Gilbert. I'm a therapist who loves to draw you closer to Jesus and offer practical tools to help you walk confidently in who you are in Christ. Tune in on Mondays for short talk therapy episodes, always 15 minutes or less. And every other Wednesday, we share guest interviews with people I hand select to speak into your life. These episodes are meant to be educational, not a replacement for your therapist. Stick around until the end of the show for a short segment where I share counselor-approved strategies to take this Real Talk episode and make it relevant in your everyday life through simple action steps. Well, in case you missed it, my book, Image Restored, is available for pre-order I'm totally blown away by y'all's response. It's already hit number one in several categories on Amazon. And I want to make sure that you know, if you pre-order, which you've only got, I think one or two weeks at this point left to pre-order, you gain access to a private pop-up podcast and exclusive printables from the book. If you've seen inside the book, you're gonna be excited about these printables. They're gorgeous, they're really great to use. So. These bonuses, like I said, they'll go away after it releases on March 7th. So head to imagerestoredbook.com. That's imagerestoredbook.com to pre-order and claim your free gifts. Also, just thank you for supporting the book. When you pre-order, you're totally supporting me as an author and as a podcast listener in this community. So I appreciate it. Today's episode equips your mental health as I am joined by a fellow Christian counselor and we discuss anxiety. I can just tell you right now, anxiety is one of the biggest things I'm currently treating in patient care. And I love whenever I can chat with fellow counselors from a biblical perspective on this topic. Now, this woman, she's no stranger to the show as this is actually her third time here. I honestly don't know that I've had anybody on three times. She might be my only person. That's how much I love her. So in case you haven't heard her the first two times, let me tell you just a teensy bit about her. Holly Girth is a Wall Street Journal bestselling author of several books, including The Powerful Purpose of Introverts and What Your Mind Needs for Anxious Moments. She's also the co-host of the More Than Small Talk podcast, which recently passed 1 million downloads. And side note, I was actually a guest on that show, so stay tuned because that interview is going to release in March. Uh, As I mentioned, Holly is a fellow counselor. She doesn't practice anymore, but she's done kind of like what I'm doing and taking some of the stuff we're learning and putting it into book format. She's also a fellow introvert, which I probably also love that about her because I am one in case you didn't know it. But I want to read to you. Holly wrote an endorsement of my book, Image Restored, and I loved what she wrote. So I just want to share with you the words she said. Every woman has struggled with body image issues, but not every woman has a wise, insightful, encouraging, and authentic guide to help. That's exactly what you'll get through Rachel Gilbert on these pages. Her words are an echo of the heart of the creator who deeply loves and intentionally designed every part of you. Well, thank you, Holly. I told her thank you when we recorded, but just have to say it again because it blesses me so much just to hear those words from her. This conversation with Holly, it was rich with both therapeutic and biblical insight. 
So please help me welcome Holly to the show. Well, hello, Holly, and welcome back to the show for the third time. Hey, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me again. It's always a treat to be with you. Yeah, I was trying to remember if I have any other guests that have been three. I know I have two of the Lisas, Lisa Bevere and Lisa Whittle have been twice, but I think you might be my only one for a third time. So congratulations. Mm, wow. <laughs> I feel like I should get a trophy or a prize or something. I know. I should, I'll mail you something. Or a cupcake. There you go. There you go. Go celebrate. Not saying I'm something amazing or anything. I'm just, it just shows how much you have uh, poured into my life. I Aww. tend to invite people on the show first time, second or third of just that I trust and who have spoken into my life and that I think, okay, my listeners, they need to know you too. So that's what we're doing today. And one of the reasons I'm, well, you know what, let's, let's back up for a second because my listeners are used to me asking a question in the beginning about something we wouldn't know about you. However, since you've been on twice, I thought let's do something a little bit different. Um, and just let me ask you, what's something fun you've done in the last year that was just fun or random? Yeah, something fun or random in the last year. Well, I have a lot coming up. My word for this year is mini adventure. And so I have a running list of things I want to do this year. So last weekend, I went with my daughter and her family to eat Venezuelan food at a food truck because I had never done that before. So it's been fun because when you say my word for the year is mini adventure, people tend to add to your list. Yeah. So Ooh. I'm looking forward to doing a lot of new things this year. I love that. I don't know if I've ever heard anybody term the phrase, I mean, I'm sure somebody has, but mini adventure. Yeah. Adventure feels overwhelming to mm-hmm. me. I'm kind of in a crazy season. And so I couldn't wrap my mind around like big dreams and goals, which would be my normal, you know, for kicking off a new year. And I thought I can handle many adventures and micro goals. And so that is what I'm doing. More small things instead of just a few big ones. All right. There's your next devotional. Can or, Unless you've already <laughs> written that. Have you already done a devotional Not like yet. that? <laughs> Maybe it'll turn into that. That seems to have a way of happening. I uh-huh. love it and then it ends up in a book. So Yes. I love that because I, I want to take that and make that my own. I feel like I'm kind of doing that this year. I'm trying to, because I'm in a busy season, I'm trying to find those pockets of fun or random. Like you said, not a big trip or some big Mm -hmm. thing, but just some little thing. Like I'm doing Sudoku puzzles right now, which just random, but it brings joy to my life. (laughs) Yes. I have a color by number coloring book because I just need someone to tell me what to do. Exactly. (laughs) So yeah, there's something soothing about those things. Yes. I love that. All right. You were kind enough to endorse my book, Image Restored, which is coming out soon. Do you mind sharing why you recommend this resource to women? Yeah, I would just say Image Restored is a reflection, I think, of your heart, Rachel, where you are a woman who reflects the image of God and wants that for other women as well, that you lead women back to the truth of who they are when our world really tells us a lot of lies about that. And so I think it's just a helpful resource. I can see for women of all ages, for teenagers, for mamas, for sisters, for friends. And so I just think it's an important message and that you are a beautiful person to put that into the world. Well, it meant the world to me that you were willing to endorse the book because like I said, I've definitely looked up to you for many years and gleaned from you and 
one, I wanted to, I've invited some of the endorsers on my podcast, not just to be like, hey, Rachel's amazing, get her book, which that's <laughs> nice, you know, for you guys to say that, but really also just to honor y'all because the people I asked to endorse my book weren't just influencers, they were people who influenced me too. Like, I feel like you had your fingerprint, your handprint on the message as well. So yeah, I just wanted to honor you for that and thank you for it. And in your, in response to women of all ages, I already am seeing that, you know, before we hit record, we were talking a bit about my launch team and it's been really fun to see the age range of women that are in that group. And then also the messages I'm already getting that they're going, oh, I got this book for my my grandma to do with my grandma or, oh, can I asking me, could I do this book with my teenager? And truth be told, I could see down the road me tweaking it for teens specifically to make it a little more in their voice and everything. And I hope that I get to do that. But yeah, to your point, that's exciting to see that happen. Okay. Yeah. And I would tell, oh, go ahead. Well, I would tell your listeners, you know, like think of it as like a fun girls night out even Yeah, to have this, like it, there's so many things in our world says, Oh, girls night out or go get a manicure together or go shopping together. So many external things that we're encouraged to do with our girlfriends. I would say challenge yourself listeners to do an eternal thing instead of just an external thing with the women in your life. And if you pair it up with a manicure or, you know, a fun dessert, then even better. But I think that could be a really fun challenge for people to say, hey, we get together to do girl stuff for the outside of us. Let's get together and do a girl's thing for the inside of us too. Yeah, I love that idea. And it also resonates with me because, you know, both of us being counselors, one of my heart, my biggest heart for this book is that women will just start to talk to each other about this topic mm -hmm. and just it's like, again, encourage each other with truth and go through it together. And so that's another reason I love that idea because yeah. it is, it's just saying, Hey, I'm not going to do this by myself. Why don't you guys all come yeah. join me? Let's do it together. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I do want to briefly bring up that, that, like we mentioned, this is your third time on my show. And I looked up, I was like, what, how long ago has it been? So you, the first time you came on was episode 20. And then, and then we talked about um, exchanging I'm fine for your mind. And then in episode 86, we discussed the powerful purpose of introverts, which I appreciated because I am an introvert. And I'm pretty sure both those times I was still recording in my closet whenever we talked. And so mm -hmm. I'm happy to be in office space now. But I love how exactly what you mentioned that everything you wrote about has come from your own life experiences. So your most recent devotional is what your mind needs for anxious moments. Let's chat about that and where that, that came from. Yeah, so I've always struggled with anxiety. Even when I was a little kid in elementary school, I would always end up in the nurse's office with unexplained stomach aches and had all kinds of tests done. And back then they said, you know, stress, but today it would definitely be called anxiety. And so throughout my life, I've needed to figure out what that means and what works, what doesn't. And even what scripture says, especially what scripture says. So I looked at all of scripture and found every place where someone was anxious and there are a lot of them and then asked, what can we learn from this person? And some people handled anxiety fantastically and I learned from them and some handled it terribly and I learned from them. 
But it has been a lifelong journey for me to figure out what it looks like to manage my anxiety in a way that's helpful. And so I'm glad I can share that with other people now too. Yeah. And I love, I was recently talking with another counselor and we were discussing how in my book, I did bring together the counseling piece with the faith piece. And that's what I love about what you've done again with this piece that you've done on anxiety is to dive into, you have your counselor brain on, your science brain on, but then you're diving into scripture and looking for real life experiences. I loved that so much. Um, and I I just can relate to that, reading the Bible through that lens of, let me look at their emotions that they are feeling. That's really fun to do. Listeners, if you've never done that, I know we're always paying attention to a bunch of different things in the word, but I like to look at exactly like what you've done. And so what have you seen to be true, both as, as you did this digging and, and wrote this devotional, and then obviously in your own life, have you seen to be true both as a Christian and a counselor and what you've learned about anxiety and how to bring those two pieces together? Yeah, well, I think one of the biggest aha moments for me was that there's a difference between what I call biological anxiety and biblical anxiety. So biological anxiety is a response of our bodies. It's when our flight or fight response gets triggered and it's automatic. It's built by God to protect us in a world where there are a lot of things that can be unsafe, whether that's a bear charging out of the woods or maybe something in a social situation that makes us feel uncomfortable. And then biblical anxiety is the mental and spiritual part of that where we get to choose, do I stay in anxiety or do I find a way out of that, which we can talk later about finding ways out of that. But I think the important thing to know is we are not in trouble with God as humans for experiencing biological anxiety. He built our bodies that way. We're also not in trouble with him for experiencing biblical anxiety. Because he knows that being in this world is hard, but understanding the difference, I find a lot of people, I imagine with your clients to really shame themselves for having an anxiety response when it's really just part of being human. And then we get to choose, what do I do with that? But that was freeing to me to say, okay, my body gets anxious. Like that's just part of living in this world. It's actually helpful in some cases because it's protective, now, what am I going to do with that? And knowing God is an ally with me as I figure that out, that I'm not in trouble for it, that I'm not being condemned for it, that when he says, do not fear to people in scripture, it's even in context, most often when they're already afraid, it's a reassurance, not a rebuke. And so that was helpful for me to see as I wrote this book. You just set some people free right there. I feel like we could hang out here for the rest of the episode that breaking down that biological versus biblical anxiety, and then also how we see what God is saying to us when he talks about anxiety and fear in the Bible. I know when I flip the script on how I am reading, it's kind of like, have you ever gotten a text message? And it all depends on the voice in which you read something. You can yeah. be like, <laughs> somebody could text, where are you? And you could read it, where are you? Or where are you? You know, like yelling, like, <laughs> yeah. oh, I'm so mad yeah. right now. And it's all our interpretation. And I feel like that's kind of what we've done with some of these scriptures is we think God's yelling at us. Don't you, don't you fear, you know, like shaming yeah, us or condemning yeah. us. And we know that's not the character or the heart of God. In fact, if anything, it's more like, 
the parent who, you know, your kid was having a nightmare and you go into the room and first you hold them and comfort them, which is what God does to us. And then we say, Hey, it's okay. I'm here. It's okay. You don't need to be afraid. That's the tone he's talking to us. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. And usually what he follows it with is I'm with you. I'm for you. I will help you, you know, which to me shows even more. Yeah. It's a reassurance that I love that example of you gave of the parent and child, because I think that is the voice that those verses are set into us. Absolutely. Well, now a second ago, you said we could get into the practical. So I know the listeners are going, okay, let's do practical. Yes. And I, I love to go practically. So let's start, I guess, simply and say, what are some practical ways that we can um, use our thoughts even to help with the anxiety? Yeah. Well, I think one thing we can do is realize that because anxiety is primarily biological first, that's where we start when we try to calm down. If we go straight to like just trying to pray and quote scripture to get ourselves out of anxiety, then our nervous system is probably going to say, you are not hearing me. (laughs) I'm going to rev up, not calm down. And so saying, what is one physical thing I can do first? Like I love box breathing. So that's just where you breathe in for four, you hold for four, you breathe out for four, and you leave your lungs empty for four and repeat that three times. And that starts telling your body, we're okay, we're safe. And then you can say, my body has a little bit to calm down. Now what do my heart and mind need? And that's when we can invite God into it and say, God, I am freaking out right now. I am human. This happens. Thank you for being here with me. I need your help. And then ask, what else do I need? And that might be to tell another person. It might be to remove ourselves from the situation for a little bit. It might be making an appointment with our counselor. It could be getting a glass of water. I mean, there are all different things that we can do to say, what do I need right now? But I think that slipping from what is wrong with me? Why am I feeling this way? How do I make this stop immediately to what do I need right now? And being gentle with ourselves can be really helpful to sort of stop that downward spiral that we can get triggered into. Holly, I love how you mapped that out because the first reaction that we all have tend to have anyhow of what's wrong with me? Why can't I pull myself together actually just makes things worse, makes the anxiety worse in the moment. And it reminds me of in Gottman therapy, a lot of times they, when I went through their training, they would put, is it the pulse oximeter on the finger? And if the heart rate was going too high, they'd say, "Eh, time out. We can't keep counseling right now because when your heart rate is that high, your nervous system is offline we're not going to get anywhere because you're, you're, we call it the runaway brain. And that's what it makes me think here. If you don't do that biological calming that nervous system down first, then that's why we're frustrated when we're trying to take our thoughts captive because our nervous system is running the show at that point. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. totally. Yeah. And again, that's where we can say, okay, this is just a natural human response. Like everybody gets anxious in this way sometimes. And, you know, it's different if you're talking about a panic attack, I would encourage anyone dealing with that to talk to a counselor like you about that, but more the just everyday anxiety we deal with, it happens to all of us, you know, it's, it's just part of being human. And so I think if we can be gentle with ourselves, with our bodies in particular in that moment, then we can give our brains and hearts a shot at helping us out too. What does that look like? You've used that word gentle a couple of times and I love it. it. 
I just love that word and I love that picture. Can you give some examples for the listeners of what does that look like to be gentle to myself? Yeah. Well, I love actually, I hadn't thought about this until you just brought up Gottman in this context, but you know, he says to couples, there's three responses you can have to your partner. One is turning toward the others, turning away and then turning against. So turning against is if someone says, look at that bird and your partner says, that's ridiculous, you know, and turning away is not paying attention to staring at your phone. And then turning toward is saying, oh, wow, you know, that's fun to see. This sounds silly when I'm saying it, but I think that gentleness is turning toward yourself. It's like in those moments, we have the same three choices. So turning against ourselves and anxiety would be that shame and guilt. What is wrong with me? Why can't I stop feeling this way? Like you can even hear the harshness in my voice when I say that. Then we can ignore it and say, I'm going to pay no attention to this at all. I'm just going to stuff this down as far as it can go and pretend like everything's fine. Or we can talk to ourselves the way we would want to talk to someone we love, which is saying, wow, this is hard and uncomfortable. There's some part of me that's trying to get my attention about something right now. I'm going to pause and listen, and then I'm going to do my best to get myself what I need. You know, and I think for those of us with an inner critic, that can be especially hard. So what I've started saying to my inner critic lately is what you would say to a small child, which is we don't talk to people that way. Say you're sorry and try again. And so if my inner critic says, what is the matter with you? I say, we don't talk to people that way. Say you're sorry and try again. And literally I say, I'm sorry, Holly, for talking to you that way. You're having a hard time. What can I do to help? You know, and so I think that is what gentleness looks like is talking to ourselves the way we would someone we love. And I think that aligns with the way Jesus talks to us, even though we don't always hear his voice in our heads in that way, because we've believed lies about how he talks to us. But I think that's what gentleness means for me is talking to myself the way I would someone I love. Holly, this is gold. I'm taking so many of these things away today for me. I'm like totally implementing that because I am a, I talk to myself. I will own that. I'm the girl driving down the road talking to myself and hopefully everybody just thinks I'm on AirPods or singing or something. I don't know, but (laughs) I love that. That is such a great visual and just being a practical way of what it looks like to be gentle to ourselves. You also talk about using music to help with anxiety. Can you talk about that? Yeah, music aligns with a certain part of our brain that has a real calming effect for us. And so if you can listen to music when you're anxious, that can actually help, again, your body to switch into a different mode, especially if it's kind of the dance, you know, for some reason, I've been listening to Taylor Swift shake it off a lot. (laughs) And things like that just sort of activated different parts of our brain. It signals, hey, you're safe. Like it helps us emotionally shift to a different place. And so we can use music to help us feel more joyful, to calm us down. It's just something that can come alongside us in our anxiety to help our brains and bodies shift to a different space. I love that you brought up your Taylor Swift example, because since we're all being real here, my current 
would be the greatest showman i've been I've oh, like, i love the greatest showman yeah yes. like i've been back on this kick and it's weird even just the other day i was driving home from something and kind of feeling a little depleted and of course at first I went to, oh, I should put on some praise and worship music. But I just felt like, no, I think I'm supposed to listen to The Greatest Showman. <laughs> and I did. And it totally was awesome. And I feel like that was that was the Lord. Like, he's okay with me listening to not only it. It can be worship. Of course, I love worship music. But sometimes yeah. you need a beat that just gets you going. So I love that. Yeah. Yeah. That is my favorite movie. And yeah, our grandkids were over and they were listening to Baby Shark, which, oh, that'll get stuck in mm. your head forever. But I just think, isn't that probably how God watches us? Even if we're listening to The Greatest Showman, he's like, my kids are rocking out. Like, this is awesome. I was taking videos of my little grandson, Clem, and just there's something about seeing someone you love be joyful in that way that is delightful. And I think I think God must feel that about us sometimes too. Yeah, and I loved also when my kids get to see me be that way. And I, you know, I mentioned a little bit ago that I've been doing Sudoku and uh, word searches and they all have commented on, mom, this is a new side of you. We have, they all think it's fun. And I just, I like that they're getting to see that about me. Hey, we can have fun too. Yeah, we work hard, yeah, but yeah. It's, it's been really therapeutic. Okay, let's move on to, here's something you wrote in the book and it was powerful enough. I don't usually just quote directly from devotionals, but this one was powerful enough. I want us to hang out on it for a second. Uh, you write that when you imagine something, it activates the same neurons in your brain that would be triggered if that event actually happened. And then you go on to say, for 40 days, the Israelites imagined losing to Goliath. Only David imagined winning. What we mentally rehearse matters. Can we talk about that for a second? Yeah. When I came across this research finding, I was like, what in the world? Like, what do you mean the same? It's the same to my brain, whether I imagine it or it happens. And in a way that's really empowering because it means that we can really shift what we're thinking about in ways that are more helpful. And so I tend to picture the worst case scenario <laughs> how everything is going to wrong, wrong. And if anyone listening can do that, then that means that you have an imagination that can also envision what could go right. And so we can pause and say, okay, I've just thought of everything that can go wrong. Now let me use that same imagination, that same circuitry that I've spent years building to imagine how things could go right or how this could be different. And so that we can mentally practice what we want to become real. And of course, ultimately we have no control, but it does influence, especially our anxiety, I think is a really powerful thing to know. What would you say to the person listening who they want to do that, view things and practice imagery in a positive way, but it almost feels silly or like I'm just daydreaming? How, how can we shift their thought process on that? Yeah, I mean, it does feel silly. It does. And I think that's okay. But if we say this is the same thing as worry, like it is, it's the same thing as worry. We're just 
casting it in a different light, that can be helpful to me. If I'm like, I'm already doing this, like this isn't new. It's just the perspective I'm putting on it. And then it can be helpful to have a little tool. Like I love an app called Envision. They have three minute like things where you envision, you know, for example, one I like to do almost every day is you think of a moment in your future that you want to come to be and you put yourself in that moment. And for me, it's just being in a big room full of people I love. You know, and so if I start my day, like going around and like talking and to and hugging each person I love, then that puts me in a different space than I would be going into my day, imagining everything that could go wrong or how I think I'm failing. And yeah, it totally feels silly. I feel silly even talking about it, but it works. (laughs) You know, so I think it's okay to feel silly, even make it fun, make it like a game to say, all right, this is ridiculous, but I'm just going to do it anyway. And there can even be something about doing things that feel ridiculous that help us feel less anxious because we take ourselves very seriously when we're very anxious. And so it might not hurt to do something that feels a little silly and ridiculous. And I like that you gave the example of that app. I'm going to go check that out as well myself. And we'll put that in the show notes because it also helps to what it sounds like that app, you know, without me looking at it from what you just described is to teach us how to do it in small increments. Yes. Because that's just like anything. If you've never done something before, I probably shouldn't just start at the elite level of something like, let's just try it for a minute or for something that feels a little more small or a little, maybe just about my day today of some sort. And you start almost building those muscles of being able to do that. Yeah. And I've never been good at doing that kind of thing while I'm sitting still, you know, people are always like, you got to sit still, you got to close your eyes, you got to put your hands in your lap. And if that works, then great. But I heard someone use the phrase moving meditation one time, and that's been so helpful. So like my three minute little vision thing, I might do it when I'm walking. I might do it when I'm driving or brushing my teeth or putting on makeup in the morning or when I'm going to sleep at night. Like I've said, I'm allowed to do this anytime, anywhere. Like it doesn't have to be when I'm sitting still and focused on this one thing. And that has been really helpful and freeing to me. So it's a place I can mentally go to now more easily without even having the actual app on because I've practiced just like, okay, here's what it feels like to go from being really anxious to putting myself in a place where I feel love and belonging instead. I love the phrase that you just used, moving meditation. That just set somebody else free. I know it did. I was in a, I was teaching in a cheer retreat one time and we were talking about quiet time and journaling and things. And, and this really brave young woman raised her hand and I was so proud of her because I felt like it set lots of people free. And she just said, I cannot sit still to do this stuff. Like what's wrong with me? Like she wanted to know like what's wrong with me. And I know it was the Holy Spirit. It just came to me. I said, well, why do you have to sit still to have time with God? Go for a walk go talk to him while you walk. She's like, what? You know, we just always hear heard or taught not only with meditation, but any of these types of things of the quiet time and everything of you have to be sitting still and staring at the wall. And she's like, I can't do that. And it makes me more anxious. And so I'm glad you brought that up because a listener needed to hear that today. Yeah. And sometimes that even helps with our anxious bodies that we've been talking about. Like my body, if it's walking is less likely to 
leave my mind alone so I can think about something helpful. Yeah. And so sometimes our bodies that we can think about them as toddlers, cause they kind of are like, what can I do to keep the toddler busy so I can get the important work done? Like, that's what I feel like I need to do with my brain, you know? And sometimes it's like, okay, body, you go for a walk, brain and heart. We're going to work on meditation, but don't tell the toddler, you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> That's so hilarious. It's okay to do whatever works for you. you yeah. Know? I love that the life of Jesus, so much of his ministry happened like in the middle of the everyday. Like occasionally he would take his disciples off somewhere and like give them a lesson. But most of it was like they're on the road, they're with people, they're in a boat, they're having dinner. Like Jesus happened in the midst of the everyday. And I think he still does. So whatever that looks like for you, I think is okay. Yeah. And that even makes sense physiologically when we ha- are feeling anxious, usually that correlates with lots of different stress hormones flowing and, mm-hmm. and energy happening that's stored up. And so yeah. getting that movement helps get some of that out. So then, mm-hmm. okay, I wanted to share this from your book because I was preparing for our interview two nights ago. So this one is just real time. Your book just helped me. Um, I had just seen several clients back to back and I had a long to-do list of things I needed to get done for book launch and all the things. And I found myself just feeling very anxious and I decided, okay, we're going to pull open Holly's book and we're going to prepare. And I knew that I don't think that the Lord wanted me to do that because I need to prepare. He needed to speak a word to me through your book. And so I want to share something that you wrote and then how it applied to me and how we can apply it to the listeners. Um, You said that anxiety is a high energy emotion that pushes us to act. We can get stuck in a cycle as Solomon did of thinking that quote, the next thing will be what we really need. And then you say, anxiety tells us having inner peace is about what we can get. The truth is, inner peace is something only God can give. And then this was the question you ended with, and this is what the part we're going to discuss. How can we rest in what we really need rather than being pushed forward by anxiety? And when I read that the other night, it stopped me in my tracks, honestly, because I was anxiety was pushing me forward to complete a to-do list. I was doing that out of like anxiety was driving the bus. And I get it. There's times, yeah, you got to get stuff done. Got to seat and chair, get stuff done. I get that. But this was just different for me. I was definitely being driven by anxiety. And it's made me really reflect, how many things am I doing because anxiety is driving the bus, (laughs) saying you have to get all these things done? So is there anything in that? I know I just dropped a ton on you, but is there anything in that that you'd like to unpack? Yeah, I think I can definitely relate to what you said and have experienced that same thing many times. And one thing I've learned to recognize is pausing and saying, am I acting out of fear right now? Because anxiety is a form of fear, right? And so if I find myself just like, okay, I've got to get all this done right now, usually pausing and saying, am I scared? Like, and if I am, then what am I scared of? And usually there's something I've come to believe that isn't true that is driving that. Like, and I'm not saying this is the case for you. Just when I've felt similarly, it's like, if I don't get all this done, I'm going to fail or I'm going to disappoint people. That's a big one for me. Like if I don't do all the things then I'm going to disappoint people. And so my anxiety often is 
an attempt to get control on something uncontrollable that makes me afraid. And so if I can pause and realize that again, it's like the toddler to be like, all right, (laughs) this kid is scared. Like, and so they're just doing whatever they can, all that nervous energy, what can replace that? And it's often remembering that I'm already loved, you know, and that can sound overly simplistic, but I'll have to pause and actually say that to myself sometimes like, okay, Holly, no matter how this turns out, you're still loved. And then if I can come at things from a posture of already, then that can help calm me down. And so I think the first step is recognizing when we flip into fear, when we start living reactively instead of responsively or proactively, and then saying, what is the lie that has gotten me here? What is the truth that replaces that lie? And then what do I want to do differently because of that? And sometimes it doesn't change what we're doing hourly at all. Like, like you said, it may be, we still got to get that to-do list done, you know, like that's the job, but we can do it from a different place of not striving as much. And again, I'm not saying this applies to you. This implies to me when I am in get it done mode. That is where my head is. I'm scared and don't want to fail or disappoint people and have forgotten that I'm already loved. And so that's the cycle I tend to go through is recognize it, identify the lie, replace the truth, see if there's anything I want to change and then go from there. No, I just got my own counseling session today. This is good. (laughs) No, yeah, that exactly is what, that line in your devotional made me stop and be just reflect okay what am i afraid of in this moment and it was you hit the nail on the head of i'm gonna fail this is not gonna work if i don't do all these things these i'm gonna fail and when i was able to admit that and let it go here's actually the end of the story and like this i decided at first i decided to walk away from my to-do list i was like you know what i'm going home then i'm not in a, you know, I'm upset way, but just I'm letting myself off the hook. And I was packing up my things. And I actually felt like when I released it, then the Lord downloaded to me one uh, something I was supposed to record for a solo podcast episode that was on my to-do list. But it came from a very different place. It came from, instead yeah. of a forced place, it came from overflow of, I sat long enough for the Lord just to speak to me and go, it's Okay. I'm with you. You're not going to fail. I'm with you. But if you'd like to, we can record this and it will be fun. It will be a get to rather than, oh, I've got to get this done because. Yeah, I love that. That is such a great example of what I hope that this book does for people is that we're so often told, get rid of your anxiety, but that is not happening. Like we are going to have anxiety sometimes as long as we are here. It's instead, how do we tame our anxiety? So I think of our anxieties like a beautiful wild horse. Like, and if you let that horse do whatever it wants, it's going to trample your yard and eat your flowers and it's not going to go well. But if you learn how to tame it, that horse can take you some amazing places. Like you just described, you tamed your horse. You said, okay, horse, <laughs> quit bucking and running around and messing with things when I'm trying to get stuff done. Let me calm you down. 
now where do we want to go? Jesus, where do you want to take me right now? And he took you to a different place. But getting to that place still started with your anxiety. The difference was just how you handled it. And so I think that's the hope for me is I can finally say, oh, I don't have to get rid of my anxiety completely. So that feels impossible, but I can tame it. I can learn to turn my wild horse into something that is not taking over my life and is occasionally actually helpful. And so I love that story, Rachel. That's really beautiful. I love to end on that too, because you just said what was came into my mind of, I almost said, dare I say, sometimes my anxiety helps me draw closer to Jesus. It helps me to actually yeah. hear him for whatever it is I was doing anyhow. And if we'll let it, it points us closer to him and directs us back to him and becomes a partnership in that. So that's beautiful. All right. Before we go, where can listeners connect with you? And you've written, how many books are you up to by now? Do you know? I think almost 20. That's amazing. So uh, most of those came out of anxiety in some way. Yeah. (laughs) Something I was wrestling through, you know, that I I needed to figure out. And then I got to share with other people too. Yeah. That's so encouraging. Um, Okay. Yeah. So where can they connect with you and find all your books? (laughs) Yeah. I would love to connect with people at my site, hollygerk.com. Perfect. And then all the things live there on that site, right? Yes. All the things are there. All right. Well, that will be in today's show notes. Holly, thank you for coming on again and chatting and just sharing your wisdom and your discernment and grace. It blesses me and I know it blesses the listeners as well. Mm -hmm. Thank you for having me again. It is time for Let's Get Real Practical. This is the part of the show where we take the topic discussed with today's guest and we get into some practical steps you can implement into your life right now. Since Holly and I are both counselors, we shared several practical tips along the way in today's episode. One practical tool that Holly and I didn't discuss and I personally feel is overlooked is coloring paired with something like listening to music. I'm gonna tell you, yes, I'm talking about good old fashioned coloring, like the type that, you know, you get out a box of crowns or your favorite colored pencils and you color. I keep so many tools in my counseling office that are just cute coloring books and colored pencils and things. And people love this. And in fact, I found with so many people, they actually need to be coloring in order to open up emotionally. So it's really cool. So let me just tell you just a couple of no-brainer reasons why we should implement coloring into our daily life. I mean, maybe not daily, but at least a couple times a week, okay? First of all, it's fun. I don't know about you, but when I color, I feel like a kid again, and I think we need more of that in our lives. It's relaxing. Again, if I'm making time to color, it means, hey, I have a moment of chill or at least intentionally created a moment of downtime. And then here's the really cool thing that I personally love about coloring when it comes to science and counseling type of stuff. Counseling? Is that a word? I don't think it is, but I just made it a word. Um, The hand motion, the side-to-side hand motion is considered bilateral stimulation, which you probably have heard me talk about quite a bit because big fan over here as an EMDR trained therapist. And simply put, it calms the nervous system. Anything bilateral stimulation calms the nervous system. And then here's another really awesome thing. It's easily accessible and cheap. My friends, we can all go to the dollar store and get a $1 
coloring book and get a package of crayons. I mean, for less than $5, you have this therapeutic tool in your back pocket. You pair this with putting on worship music and oh my goodness, it's a powerful combination. Now, with that said, I have to tell you that in my book, Image Restored, again, once you get it in your hands, you'll see what I mean. Everybody who gets it in their hands, like just freaks out over the layout of the book and I'm excited it turned out the way it did. But I did, I put at the end of every chapter, place to journal and place to color because it was really important to me that y'all actually take the content and you soak in it. And not my words, but the Holy Spirit. Like, let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Create that space for him to talk to you. And I just love when he does that. And in fact, again, I have to just remind you that when you pre-order the book and you get access to those pre-order bonuses, you can go ahead and download some of the coloring sheets and do it now. Print them off on your own and do it. But then also, I always forget the things my, my team like they put together all these amazing bonuses and sometimes I forget what they all are, but we also created a playlist, uh, an image restore playlist. So on Apple and Spotify and things, and that's one of the pre-order bonuses that you get. And so I have had people tell me that they are coloring the pages from my book while they listen to the playlist. And they are saying it's been extremely therapeutic and the Lord's been doing a lot in their heart. So do that today. Like you can totally do that right now. You don't have the book yet, but you can pre-order, get access to these things and start doing it today. All right. Well, before we go, of course, I want to pray over us for anxiety and just whatever else the Holy Spirit wants to pray over. And then I'll send you on your way. So Father, I thank you for every single listener who is sitting under the sound of my voice. I thank you that you have anointed me, this podcast, the listeners and everybody represented here today. I thank you for this conversation with Holly. I pray that the words that we spoke about you and your word and, and the hope that we can find in you just releases some of the pressure, some of that anxiety in the name of Jesus. And anybody who's listening right now who is experiencing anxiety or depression or fear or overwhelm, burnout, whatever it might be, draw near to them, Jesus, calm their anxious thoughts and their hearts. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Well, my friends, I pray that this Real Talk episode brought you one step closer to living free and pursuing your God-given dreams. I'll see you back here next time on Real Talk with Rachel.